Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. You will not have heard of James Arthur Harley, but you should have done, because he's a remarkable figure. He's a pioneer. He's the black Edwardian intellectual that we've forgotten to celebrate and remember. But thankfully, award-winning historian and producer Pamela Roberts has remembered him for us and has now written a remarkable book. As you'll hear, she was handed a photograph of a young man of colour in Oxford University a few years back. And that was the start of an adventure that took her across continents and up to a dingy attic where an old battered suitcase she found the archives of one of the more remarkable men to have lived and worked in the early part of the 20th century here in the UK. James Arthur Harley, born in Antigua, educated in Harvard and some of the elite institutions of North America, and completed his studies right here in the UK at Oxford University, before being made a priest and serving communities across rural parishes in England. He was a politician, he was a thinker, he was a munitions worker during the war. He's a truly remarkable human being. And here's Pamela to tell us more about him. Enjoy! Pamela, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Dan, for inviting me. You've discovered and overlooked intellectual important stuff. Where does the story of James Arthur Harley begin? The story begins by a rather strange route where a throwaway comment while I was in New Zealand led me to discover him. Long story short, I was in a place called Rotorua and one of the tour guides explained to me about Makareti Papakora, who was the first Maori woman to study anthropology at St. Anne's in Oxford. And while I went to Pitt Rivers Museum to find out about Macaretti's collection, I was handed a photograph by the curator of manuscripts regarding my work as founder and director of Black Oxford Untold Stories. And he posed the question, do you know who the man in the photograph is? The photograph is a very iconic image of James Arthur Harley and two other students taken on the first day of their practical examination. And I didn't know who he was, and thus began my quest. And he was born in Antigua? Yeah, James Arthur Harley was born the 15th of May, 1873, in the village of All Saints, Antigua. Tell me about his family. So his father was a landlord, Henry James Harley, and it's thought that his mother named him with the father's middle name, James. The father is described as a landlord property owner. However, during the course of my research, I haven't been able to find any sugar estate or plantation linked to his father. What was the economy? What was the condition? This was only 40 years after the abolition of slavery on the island. What conditions would he have faced growing up? 
So the conditions James Arthur Harley would have faced in Antigua would have been extremely tough. He was referred to as a mulatto, so in terms of a white father and a black mother. So his lighter skin may have afforded him some perceived privileges. However, in terms of, at that time, black race was subjugated. The economy was very much dependent on the sugar economy, which started to take a drastic downturn. So James would grow up with his older sister, Alice Maud, and their family life would consist of looking after animals, preparing, cooking, going to school. And he went to the micro school, which was described as the best school on the island. Was there money to pay for that school? There was a fee of a penny you had to pay. Otherwise, the schooling consisted largely of Bible classes. And there's one lovely quote that I found. And in the Patois, the quote is, them give we Bible and tell us to teach us about the Lord. But any real education, you had to pay for. And the Bibles were largely donated from beneficiaries from England in terms of educating the heathens in far-flung places. So there was education, but you had to pay. So if you paid money, you get a better, a better level of education. He was a bright kid. Absolutely. He was a very bright man. He studied at the micro school. He went on to study teacher training in spring gardens and eventually became a headmaster. His life becomes perhaps a bit more unusual at this point, or does it? He left the island in 1899. He goes to America to attend a seminary of the Episcopal Church. Was it quite a mobile population? Would that have been normal to leave the island and head to North America? Absolutely. In terms of the economy, it was largely dependent on sugar production. And sugar production started to take a downturn based on a number of factors. So the Sugar Duties Act of 1846 removed the differential tariffs that protected the market from sugar coming into Britain from the colonies. There was also a riot, and 1862 saw the worst drought in 50 years, reducing production. So in terms of figures, 1862, 12,920 tonnes of sugar was being produced, and that fell to, in 1864, 2,613 tonnes. What this meant, a lot of sugar plantation owners left Antigua and came back to Britain. The black and coloured population thought this meant more opportunities from them. This was far from the truth. The emancipation didn't bring the realised dreams and expectations that they thought it would do. Now, one of Harley's ambition was to become a priest in the Protestant church. So it's the Anglican version of the Church of England. And this was his childhood vacation, he writes. As a mulatto young man, he may have had perceived privileges because of his lighter skin. However, they were still limited. And any prospect of a professional career was out of the question. So he journeys to America to attend the General Theology Seminary. How does he fare when he gets there? Because it's no easier being a person of colour in America than it is in Antigua, I dare say. Absolutely. He arrives three years after Plessy versus Ferguson. And that was the act many of your listeners may know better as the Jim Crow laws in the South. So he arrives at a time of horrific racial prejudice, but he sets off to the General Theology Seminary. When he arrives at the seminary, for whatever reason, 
and there's no mention in his archives, or I couldn't find any reason through my research, he is turned away. So he is immediately beset by disaster. He is turned away and sent to King's Hall. Now, Harley had no knowledge of what King's Hall was, just that he was directed to go to Washington, D.C. and to attend King's Hall. And how does it go for him? When he arrives, he finds out King's Hall is for training black clergy. Now, this is not where he wants to be. He wanted to be at the Episcopalian Seminary. Instead of enrolling on a theology course, he enrolls in a law course. Why do you think he does that? I think, A, he didn't do theology because for him, the prestige was the General Theology Seminary. It was not King's Hall. And B, he writes in his archives, he wanted to embark on an academic career. So we see a, a slight change in his career trajectory and the route he starts to take. He marries a woman that was part of the sort of Washington, D.C. black elite at the time. But then he does take an interesting route because he ends up going to some of the most elite educational establishments on the planet, which would have been pioneering. Absolutely. But Dan, let me take you back to his marriage. While in Washington, D.C., he gains a job as a Sunday school teacher and a choir master. And this is at St. Luke's Church, which is a pinnacle church for the Washington black elite. The Washington black elite are a group of black people who, through their own efforts, develop their own successful businesses. So banks, insurance companies, restaurants, churches. And they were a group of people who you had to have the right connection and historical lineage. So St. Luke's Church is where he met his wife-to-be, Josephine Lawson, and her parents were also powerhouses. Her father, Mr. Jesse Lawson, was a legal examiner at the Afro-American Council, which was a forerunner to the NAACP. And her mother, Josephine Lawson, was very active in the National Women's Colored Association. She was also the chairwoman of the Women's Temperance Movement. So Harley enters this world of the Washington black elite, which I found totally fascinating and the key members of the society. So just to mention a few, Miss Church Terrell, who was known as a dame of the black elite, and she was a pioneering black woman at the time. And she would have these soirees and society parties. And they also held what were called pink tea parties. And the pink tea parties were for women and young women of mixed race, high color, as they would say back then. Harley entered this world via his marriage. Tell me about his, well, the ongoing studies. He, he goes off and becomes, well, an extraordinary intellectual. Take me on the next stage of that journey. Harley leaves Howard University and he achieves his law degree. His dream now is to go to Harvard. However, he applies to Harvard, but is turned down. But is accepted to Yale University via scholarship, but is still applying to Harvard. He spends a year at Yale and then finally accepted into Harvard in 1903 to study for Semitic languages. How common would that have been at the time for a person of colour to be studying at Harvard? For a person to be studying at Harvard in 1903 when Harley went would be extremely rare. There were other people 
W.E. Du Bois, Monroe Trotter. But in terms of that journey, Harvard didn't accept his first black student until it's opened its doors 226 years after its opening. And then there was objections to black students studying at the university. In fact, there was a petition by the school to have him black students at Harvard. And some of the reasons cited were they would downgrade the university and they would cheapen the course and the study at Harvard. So there was immense resistance to black students being at Harvard. And again, when black students came to Harvard, they weren't protected by the eliteness of the institution. They faced the same racial discrimination as outside those prestigious walls. So W.E. Du Bois writes about you knew not to go to white areas to ask them to rent your room. So regardless you're in this educated institution, you're still perceived as less than. And back then, the derogatory terminology associated with black men. And yet he succeeds. He makes it through Harvard. He doesn't stop. He keeps going. My assumption when I was doing the research is he went to Harvard, Yale, Howard University. And I assumed he would stop and have a career in America. And he had the opportunity to do that. However, he decided to continue further studies at the University of Oxford. This is Dan Snow's History Hit. More after this. Coming to Dan Snow's History Hit soon, a mini-series that tells one of the most extraordinary stories in history. For more than 3,000 years, Tutankhamun lay undisturbed in the Valley of the Kings, almost forgotten. Until in 1922, Howard Carter noticed a set of steps leading down into the earth. Towards sunset, we had cleared down to the level of the twelfth step, which was sufficient to expose a large part of the upper portion of a plastered and sealed doorway. The only decipherable impressions of the seals were those of the well-known royal necropolis seal, Anubis, symbolizing a king. They would reveal the most extraordinary gateway to the afterlife the world had ever seen. The discovery of Tutankhamun, Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered if the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were actually real? Or what made Alexander so great? Join me, Tristan Hughes, twice a week, every week on the Ancients from History hit, where I'm joined by leading academics and best-selling authors and world-class archaeologists to shine a light on some of ancient history's most fascinating questions, like who built Stonehenge and why? What are the Dead Sea Scrolls and why are they so valuable? And were the Spartan warriors really as formidable as the history books say? Join me, Tristan Hughes, twice a week, every week on the Ancients from History hit wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. How's he paying for all this? Because this is expensive stuff. This is really intriguing. And I have to say, you have to read the book because there are some twists and turns. And Harley is very, very gifted, very loquacious. And he came to Oxford University in 1907 to study theology at Jesus College. He also studied as a first black student at Pitt Rivers Museum to undertake the Diploma of Anthropology. And the question you pose, how did he pay for this? And through my research, it became illuminated. And I thought, oh, right. So I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to have your listeners read the book and find out. He then, after all of that studying, is actually ordained at Canterbury Cathedral and becomes a Church of England priest. And then he goes, tell us where he goes. He reaches a pinnacle and he does become a priest. And he's in these rural parishes. He starts off in a place called Shepshed in Leicester. He then goes to Marshside in Kent and finally ends up in Deer. And while in Deer, we then have the start of the First World War. But, you, but we're skipping a bit. He developed quite a reputation as a preacher. He's obviously an extraordinarily brilliant man. And, and he ran classes in not just, what would we call it today? Probably life, like wellness or something. But he was doing philosophy. He was doing anthropology. He was running working men's clubs. He was packed churches. In those days when priests could become very famous local people, he was certainly one of them, wasn't he? 
Absolutely. He was very much a people person. And his first curacy in St. Bothell's Church in Shepshed, references are in his diary. And the quote is, he packed the church with the scum of people from the local community. And reading between the lines, it was the novelty value. Here's this black man in 1909 in this rural village. So obviously people come for the fascination, but then they kept coming. And as you said, he initiated Bible classes. He initiated a study group for men in Shakespeare. How revolutionary is that at that time? And his move was for people to get the meaning of life by being participating. So it wasn't a case of you came to church on a Sunday and that's it. He wanted that whole involvement with the community and the community did come out and support him. And if you know this part of Leicestershire, anyone listening will know that this is perhaps a strange place, this phenomenon to be taking place. We got the First World War. Britain declares one Germany on August the 4th, 1914. And he's doing his bit. He's officiating over weddings and burials and things in Deal in Kent. How does he get involved in the war? He gets involved in the war in two ways. One, he's recruiting. And he's coming back to Shepshed. And he's recruiting via the cinema on Britannia Street through showing screenings of Charlie Chaplin movies. He's pitching for young men to join up. Now, ordained men couldn't fight and Harley was too old. So he did answer Kitchener's call, but on the home front. And he trained as a skilled munitions worker at the University of London, King's College. So he's a recruiter and he's also a munitions worker as well. Absolutely, yes. I like to see as him not wanting others to do what he was not expected to do himself. So again, we see this passion, the love for people coming through him, through his works, very action-orientated. And, and you can see that through what he was doing. He was involved in that war effort. He obviously liked Leicestershire. I like Leicestershire. I'm not saying the bad about that, but he settled there. And he became a local councillor and a publisher. He did. So... He returns to Shepshed. He becomes involved in local politics, first through the general strike. And he was writing what were called penny poems for the miners' effort. He also accompanied a group of miners to the Guardian Board for Aid. So as a loquacious speaker, an educated man. I like to see him as a local what we would call today, citizen advice bureau. This was a person who the local people could come and go to. And in the references in newspapers, they said he would help school children and advise them, local people. So he goes with a group of miners to argue for funds during the miners' strike. So that starts his political journey of becoming a local councillor on the Shepshed District Council. He must have just been a local phenomenon by this stage. Harley is elected in 1926. And one of his first motion I thought was so surprising as the only black councillors amongst a sea of white faces. And this is the motion he proposed. In view of the unfair competition, undue influence, sly bribery and insidious corruption, therefore, tainting the atmosphere 
of so many local government bodies in nearly every nook and cranny in England that this council call upon any councillors who works for trade with a councillor at any time to ignore the disgraceful practice of the present, to remember the excellent customs of the past and to resign his office of councillor, rather than remain in the council to grab all he can for himself while in office, by his office and through his office surreptitiously. And I just thought, wow, that's amazing at that time. So here was Carly saying to all these group of councillors, basically, you're all corrupt. You know, sling your rock, get gone. But in a much more elegant way, as he talks about the backhanding, dealing, and what he refers to as the hush-hush policy. And in order to combat this, he starts his own weekly newspaper which is printed in the back of his shed. He's a one-man self-promotion magazine journalist. And he uses this as a vehicle to communicate with the resident, but also to hold the council to account as a scrutineer. He was obviously a force of nature. I can imagine he made enemies. Can you imagine this person of colour coming in, having had all his training in Harvard and Oxford and then landing in that rural district and just unbelievable, calling people out. He died during the Second World War, age 70. Where were you able to find this evidence? Where were you able to resurrect his story from? I was able to resurrect his story from locating his archive in a battered suitcase in Shepshire, Leicester. And how that came about, while he was a member of the council, the chairman of the council at that time was a man called Michael Worthy. And it's Michael's son who, when I started first to do the research and made inquiries, contacted me and he said, I understand you're looking for a man called Harley. And he responded, so you want to know about old Harley, do you? And I thought, okay. And he invited me to his home, him and his lovely wife, Margaret. And he explained how he came across Harley's archive by his father. So 50 years later, this suitcase is up in the loft. Fast forward to a black woman making inquiries, and then when I arrived at the house, the suitcase is there, the original battered suitcase, and Michael opened it, and it was like a magician. This paper's coming out, his Harvard degree, law, his certificate from Oxford University, the Diploma of Anthropology, and it was like literally colored scarves, and all Michael kept saying is, is this of interest to you? And my brain couldn't process it quick enough. And as I said, I've spent the last five years following in Harley's footsteps. Well, thank you so much, Pamela, for following in those footsteps. Uh, how can people find out more by reading your book? What's it called? So the book's called The Adventures of a Black Edwardian Intellectual, the story of James Arthur Harley. And it's available on Amazon, published by Signal Books, and it's out on the 20th of October. Pamela Roberts, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much, Dan, for inviting me. I feel we have the history on our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us, and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.